Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning at the Gate Christian Bible Church where we take God seriously, but we don't take everyone real seriously. We like to have fun and laugh and joke. But today, kicking off a two-part series called Making Christmas Great Again. And so I wanted to ask about some of your favorite Christmas movies. Just shout them out. Wonder of Life, what? Elf, yeah, Elf. I love Elf. Christmas Story, yeah. Shoot your eye out. Home Alone? Yeah, I like Home Alone. <laughs> Die Hard. You know what my favorite Christmas movie is? Taken. Oh, that's not a Christmas movie, but I really like Taken, and it kind of fits what I'm talking about today. If you've ever seen Taken, Liam Neeson has special skills, right? And his daughter gets kidnapped in France, and Neeson goes and uses his special skills to rescue his daughter, and he stops at nothing, putting himself in harm's way, rescues her from an Albanian sex trafficking ring, and he dodges multiple bouts of death, and he finds himself finally face-to-face with his daughter's kidnapper, and he frees her from certain death, and he brings her home. And at the very end, one of the last scenes, You see her look in her eyes. You see her looking at her father. And she says, you came. You said you would come and you came. That's what Christmas is about. God said that his son would come to rescue us. And he came. That's what John 3.16 says. Read that verse with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, we're going to look deeper into that verse in a minute because it's a very famous verse. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse before. But before we go into that passage, can we all agree that Christmas is great? Can we also agree that many people have tried to diminish Christmas and even kill Christmas? I mean, don't say Merry Christmas, right? It's offensive. You know, don't put up decorations. That offends me. Take down the nativity scene. I'm triggered, you know, whatever it is. In fact, recently, opposers of Christmas rallied to force a city to allow them to put up a pentagram with the words, in Satan we trust, right next to the nativity scene in the town square. Here's what I got to say. Start your own holiday. (laughs) Don't interfere with Christmas. For too long, we've let the light of Christmas grow dim. And we should not. And when I was a kid, Christmas was always great. I'd be at home in the middle of summer, and I'd think, when's Christmas? I can't wait for Christmas. That's when I wake up in the morning, I run down, and there's some cool presents under the tree. A new bike, Hot Wheels set, the latest Elton John album. Even clothes were cool at Christmas. But what happened? See, making Christmas great again is not only about bringing Christ back into Christmas, which is of utmost importance, but making Christmas great again is also about bringing the tradition of Christmas back into Christmas, the lights, 
the trees, the decorations, the gifts, the carols, and most of all, the joy of Christmas. Now, would you admit that Christmas is already great, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. But why is Christmas great? And that's what we talk about. Christmas is great because it reminds me of how much I am loved. It reminds me of how much I am loved. Think about it. What's the best Christmas gift you've ever received? You know what mine was? This baby right here. A 1976 Schwinn Stingray with a yellow banana seat. You remember that? You know how I felt when I received that? It was awesome. I was a kid. I rode that thing all over the place. How do you feel when you receive a gift? You feel appreciated, right? You feel thought of. You feel loved. And even though you're on the naughty list, you still get gifts. That's one of the reasons Christmas is great. Because even though it has become ultra-commercialistic, it's still Christmas. And Christmas is about love and about giving and receiving gifts. And the greatest gift is Jesus. So Christmas reminds me of how much I am loved by God. It reminds me how much I'm loved by God. So in this passage today in John chapter 3, it kind of been set up because it had been 400 years since Israel had heard from God. 400 years. No prophets, nothing. Silence. Imagine not hearing from God for even a day. 400 years. And that's when John the Baptist shows up, proclaiming that there's a king coming, the Christ. Israel was waiting in expectation for a king to rescue them from totalitarian rule of Rome. And Israel was used to a 400-year period of being in captivity. They looked back to Moses, and Israel was in Egypt for 400 years. So they were kind of used to that, but they were hoping, and they wanted God to send their Messiah to set them free. The problem was that although God's people were crying out to be saved, the establishment was not. The religious leaders were in bed with Rome. They were getting kickbacks and enjoying political power. They did not want to surrender their power to another king. So what happens? Jesus shows up on the scene and the people flock to Jesus. He was teaching them things that they'd never heard. He was healing them of diseases that could never be cured. He was spending time with outcasts that no one would spend time with. And they weren't welcome into the establishment. So Jesus, entrance as a baby, shook things up. I mean, think about it. He was born in a stable of a virgin. Lowly shepherds came along. And pagan kings came to worship him. As he grew up at 12 years old, he would debate theology with the teachers that were twice his age. And even those teachers would say, wow, how does he know those things? The religious leaders were amazed. And then at age 30, he begins his three-year public ministry. And he started to draw large crowds but not forgetting to spend time in prayer with his Father in heaven. And on one certain night, he's having a conversation with a well-known Pharisee, a teacher of the law, Nicodemus. 
And it was on that night that Jesus taught the meaning of Christmas. And he begins with, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's so much in there to unpack. Think about it. For God so loved the world. And I know a lot of times people say that word so should be emphasized, you know, for God so loved the world. But it really isn't that. It's him saying, this is how God loved the world. For God so loved the world this way. How did he love the world? He gave his one and only son. And what would happen? That whoever believes in him will be rescued from eternal death and have life. God gave the best gift ever. But not many people wanted to open it. Imagine having a great gift under the tree and not opening it. But imagine this. Imagine giving your only son to a world that could care less. There was a man who worked on a railroad train switch where you would pull the switch for the bridge to come down when the train would pass. And he'd bring his son to work every day. One day, something terrible happened. The kid fell into the compartment where the motor was for the bridge. And he couldn't get out. And there was an oncoming train that was a short distance away from the bridge. And if the son couldn't exit, he would be crushed from the pressure of the bridge being pulled down so that the train could pass safely. The father didn't know what to do. He tried desperately to rescue his son from that impending death, but time was running out. And at that moment, the father had to make a decision. Either I save my son and let the train of passengers all die in the river, fall off into the river, or crush my son to allow the train with people I don't even know pass safely. And he chose at that moment to pull the switch so that he could save the people in the train. The father had to make an incredible difficult choice, but he knew it would be worth it. The crack-addicted woman that was in the train that didn't even know what was going on, she got saved. The father didn't condemn her. The father looked at her with joy and rejoiced in her salvation because even though it cost him his son, he loves the world. He loves you. And he loves me. And because of that, we're not condemned. You know, the word condemned is guilty. And Jesus goes on because a lot of time we stop with John 3.16, but we need to go on. Because he says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So how is one saved? Through Christ. Christmas is great because it reminds us of the salvation that comes through Christ because all people can be saved. No one is beyond the saving love of God. It doesn't matter what you've ever done. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be saved. How? Believe. Believe in Jesus. And then he goes on. Whoever believes in him, he's speaking third person, Jesus, God's son, is not condemned. If you believe, you will not be guilty. In a court of law, you're either guilty or not guilty. There's no in between. God is judge and he has to judge sin. 
But because Jesus died on the cross for your sin, if you just believe in him, you receive the gift of Christmas, which is forgiveness of sin. You know, the people on the train, they didn't even know what was going on. They were clueless. Imagine being clueless about Christmas. We are not clueless about Christmas. That's why Christmas is great. Because everyone can know why Jesus came. And then he goes on. But whoever, now this is the difference. There's two sides to a coin, right? If I have a coin, you see one side, you don't see the other. But there's a whole other side. This verse has two sides. He says, whoever does not believe stands condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, here's the thing. Some people will go, see, that's what I mean. I can't buy into that. Why would God condemn somebody because they don't believe in him? You know why? Because they don't believe in him. It's not up to us to write the story. You know, so many people, I say he's writing our story and we try to take the pen out of his hand. Oh, I can do it better, God. God has the plan. God's gospel is great. It's good news for people who will receive and believe. So there's two sides. And there's only two types of people. Condemned, guilty in a court of law and in the court of God's court. Or not guilty. Where do you want to be on that? Which side of the coin? I want to be not guilty. Listen, my whole life I spent feeling guilty. Even going to church, I felt guilty. Like God was always mad at me. You know, it's just been... Over the years, I've had to come to believe either what God says is true or believe what I think is true. Let me tell you something. Don't believe what you think is true because that's relative truth. That's not objective truth. Objective truth is based on an object outside of yourself who tells the truth. That's God. God never lies. Christmas is great because you can receive the gift of Christmas. Forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no gray area. Romans 8.1 is a great verse. Read it with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So those who are in Christ Jesus by faith are not guilty. I just prayed with a man last week who's going to go home to be with Jesus within the next two weeks. And I walked in and he had the biggest smile on his face. You know what he said? I can't wait to go see Jesus. I just want to go home. That's the hope that Christmas brings. If it were not for Christ, if it were not for what he did for you, then no one could say that. Why does someone say that on their deathbed? Because they know. They believe. That bike was an incredible gift. What if I never rode it? What if it just sat there looking really awesome under the tree without me on it? God has sent a gift. His son. And whoever believes in him, you'll be rescued from death. The gift is Jesus. The opening of the gift is to receive him. And then Jesus goes on because he's speaking, listen, he's speaking to a Pharisee. Remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Even though we don't know for sure if he came to faith, but we think we do. But at this point, you probably didn't believe yet. So Jesus speaks in legal terms. He said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. You know, when you decorate your house with lights, it's supposed to remind you that light came into the world because the world is a dark place. People were in the dark, and now they can come into the light. 
That's the meaning of Christmas. But again, there's another side to the coin. When God gives a promise, there's usually a premise. If you believe, you will receive. So here's the thing. There's the verdict, light is coming to the world, but what's wrong? People love darkness because their deeds were evil. Now remember, he's speaking to the establishment. He's speaking to people who were legalistic, very religious. They kept the law. You know, they tried to do everything right, but on the inside they were dead because the light hadn't come on. And Jesus is saying, the light is here. There's no reason why anyone should be in the dark at Christmas. There's a town in Brazil called Sao Paulo, Brazil. And at 3 p.m. local time, it went dark. You know why? Because the wind shifted and blew the smoke from the Amazon fires over their city so much that it blocked the sun entirely, and it was like night. That would be scary. You know what's more scary? People who choose to live in the darkness with the smoke and fire of impending death, blocking the light of the sun, S-O-N, when all they have to do is receive the gift of Christmas by believing in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world so that you would not perish, but you would live eternally with Him in heaven. And that's what this next song is about that I'm going to sing. I wrote this song back in 1997, I think it was, and I wrote it because it's about the light. It's about the light of Christmas. As I sing this, I'd like you to find yourself in the story, see where you are as to whether you've received the light of Christmas. What's that light shining down so bright? I've never seen it shine there before. And what's that noise? singing songs of joy a gentle breeze whispers your name I saw them kneel before you a brand new baby boy the gifts they bring they call you king make your
pray now and we'll finish up the sermon in a minute, but I, I do want to offer you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this Christmas. So you bow your head and, you know, Jesus was born in a manger and there were animals and it was all, it, was, it smelled bad. I mean, it, you know, it's not the best place to have a baby, <laughs> but it kind of is a picture of our life. Our life's like really messed up. And then Jesus just wants to be born in there. I think people get mixed up and say, oh, I'll come to Christ when I, when I get, you know, I fix myself. You know, I'm going to get ready. And no, you're already ready. He'll come in right now. All you got to do is just open your heart and you pray this in your heart. and You say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And now I place my faith for eternal salvation in you because I believe what you say is true, that whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. With your heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer, just slip your hand in the air so I can pray for you. 
Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful way, that you're bringing people into your kingdom to come home, that you are our Savior. And thank you, Lord, for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. We need each other at Christmas. And that's the next part, the last part of the sermon, which is I'm loved by God, but I'm also loved by other people. And do you ever feel like, I don't deserve to be loved? I'm like Kevin in Home Alone. (laughs) You know, who would love that kid? In fact, parents left him, not on purpose, right? But, I mean, come on, you got to admit, the kid was a little squirrely, right? (laughs) Or, like, how could any mom or dad deny Ralphie the official Red Ryder Carbon Action 200-shot range model air rifle? Why did she deny it? Because you'll shoot your eye out, kid, right? See, we can laugh, we can have fun at Christmas. But let me tell you something. For some people, Christmas is not fun. Christmas brings up emotional pain, grief, difficult feelings, hurt, abandonment, grief. For some people, Christmas is not great. It's painful. And here's what I want to tell you today. That's why knowing and receiving the love of Christ is of utmost importance. But that's not enough. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we still have to live this side of heaven. And we need Jesus with skin on. You know who that is? The church. I'm going to tell you right now. Church is pretty messed up. Because we're messed up. But we still need each other as messed up as we are. I need you. I asked uh, Sonny Bounzuela to share a, a short testimony of what God has done in her life with regards to this church. So let's welcome her. Good morning, everyone. So you know me as Sunny. Not everyone knows me by my given name, Esther. And what's funny is that's how Pastor David first met me, and I met him as Pastor Habib. This was way back in the late 90s when he joined the church as the worship leader. From there, he left to start the gate. And I was going through a very tough divorce, and I just got mad at God. So I left the church altogether. Eventually, my youngest son, Nicholas, said that his friends were attending Saddleback Church, and he wanted to go. So I went ahead, and I would drop him off, and I would leave. I would not attend church. But eventually... The Holy Spirit convicted me, and I decided I better at least go to church. So I would go, park, and at Saddleback Church, it's very easy to be anonymous. So I sat in the back row, got spiritually fed, left again without talking to anybody. So I did that for a while, and then Holy Spirit convicted me again, and I felt like, well, I'm not being a very good Christian as an example. So I decided to go ahead and join the Saddleback Church and get very involved with different ministries. I led a singles Bible study. I joined the drama ministry. And I even was a tour guide because, you know, that church is so huge. (laughs) They had a shuttle ministry, and I was one of the tour guides. So I did that for a while, but at Saddleback Church, it's so huge. I love Pastor Rick's messages, but I never even met the man. He's like a celebrity pastor up there on television. And I knew I wanted something smaller where I could know my pastor and my pastor could be involved in my life. I have a girlfriend who uh, tragically lost her husband from cancer and I met 
her pastor. He was there at the hospital. He was there at her home. He was there at the funeral. And then 10 years later, she lost her son. Same pastor was there at the home, at the hospital, at the funeral. And I thought, that is what I want. So when Art and I got married, we decided we're going to go look for another church. So we went church shopping. And we went to one in Lake Forest, wasn't the right fit. And then I remembered Pastor David and the gate. So I told my husband, I think you'll like this church. I think you'll really love the worship. So we looked it up, went to the gate at Rancho Santa Margarita. It was where they were worshiping then. And the music had just started. My husband was a few steps ahead of me. And so he walked in, heard the music, and looked over his shoulder and said, this is what I'm talking about. So that was more than three years ago, and we've never left. We really love this church. Um, and what's interesting is most recently with my dad being in the hospital, this year he's been in the hospital six times. And it's very difficult when a loved one's in the hospital, right? And Pastor David, Deborah, my church family have been reaching out, texting me, calling me, praying, and just um, we've been on the on the prayer chain. And so everyone's been asking how my parents been doing. And every time I receive, receive a text from Pastor David, I'm saying, this is what I'm talking about. This is to, to know what is to be loved and be part of a church family. So that's what I love about this church. Art and I have gone through the PATH classes to become partners here. And we lead growth groups. I attend the women's Bible study from Deborah. I went through Identity and Destiny with Chris Martin and Janice. We do Facebook Live in the morning. We're on the Gate Community Development Team. Art went through Elder Pastor Training. I read scripture. Art does communicate. It's so important to get involved. Once you decide to join a church, you need to be a part of the growth of that church. In fact, I'm so blessed that we've met our best friends here. So one day... Josh and Sharon Monroy came and sat in the front row right in front of us, and we started talking to them, and we've become best friends, and I just love that they're here with us today, too. So I'm so grateful to each of you for your support. I can't tell you how much it means to me. I don't know how people go through life without a church home. So thank you, all of you, for being my partners and my family. It's always sunny on Christmas. Look at this verse. It's very important. 1 John 4.19, read this with me. We love because he first loved us. Do you know how we know how to love each other? Because he taught us how to love each other. Because he loved us first. Sonny referred to my given name, Habib, and then I changed it to David. And I didn't know, I liked David in the Bible, and I was tired of always having to spell my name all the time, so I changed it. And then I didn't know that they mean the exact same thing. Yeah, Habib means love in Arabic. David means love in Hebrew. But guess what? My given name means love. Are you kidding me? I was looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> I tried to search for love in all kinds of different things until one day I was on my bike and I said, God, if you're real, you have to show me. It was just a simple prayer. And about a week later, my phone rang. He said, hi, is Bob there? I said, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. And he, before he hung up, he says, hey, man, Jesus loves you. And the next day I was in a mall and I looked down, there's a guy sitting on a bench. He goes, hey man, Jesus loves you. And then the next week I was in a parking lot full of cars and there was a bright pink VW bug that had written all over it, Jesus loves you. And I remember praying that simple prayer, God, if you're real, you have to show me. And he did. And it took three times, but I got it. 
And it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. And now I could do life, not just knowing and accepting his love, but realizing the importance of other people's love. Listen, it's hard to love others when you don't even love yourself. That's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. But it's hard to love yourself when you don't allow God to love you first. And it's even harder to love others if you don't let others love you. You know, I grew up, I wanted to be a doctor when I was young. And then I went to college to do pre-med and I had to take chemistry. And I was like, I can't be a doctor. But I think the God's put on my heart this heart to help people become better. I'll never forget a few years, it was about 10 years ago, I was going through a difficult time in my life. I was having, um, I had chronic depression and I was suffering and struggling. And if you know what I'm talking about. And I had this dream and I was on a gurney and I was in a hospital and they were pulling me into surgery. And I'm like, no, no, you can't. There's people that need me. I got to help them. And the doctor looks at me, sir, you're about to have surgery. You just need to calm down. God had to do surgery in my life. You know, when I became a pastor, I jumped all in. I was like, yeah, I love this. I can help people all day long. And then I started to burn out. I needed surgery. God had to break my pride. You know, my ego was as big as the Grinch's heart after he got saved. I needed to let God love me first. And I needed to let others love me and accept that love. Because if you're lonely, depressed, angry, confused, open the gift of Christmas by receiving Christ, but don't neglect the other gift under the tree, which is receiving the love of other people. You know, the greatest gift God gave me aside from his son is my wife, Deborah. We've spent 28 Christmases together and never had one fight (laughs) because we've had multiple fights. And for my birthday this year, she knows, you know, you get to a man's heart by his stomach, right? So look at this picture. I was so excited about the meal. Look at, that. look at that. It was like all the good stuff, sushi and everything. I was so excited. I love my wife. My wife loves me. Do we always get along in heavenly bliss? No. I was, someone told me, he said, God brings people in your life like heavenly sandpaper or heavenly speed bumps. You know, and that's how it works. But learning to get along and to love each other, that's part of spiritual maturity. In 1946, a man named Frank Pooler wrote a poem for his girlfriend. And he planned on giving it to her for Christmas, but she broke up with him. Twenty years later, while Pooler was working as choral director at Cal State Long Beach, a couple of students came up to him and asked him if he had any lyrics. They were starting a band and wanted to write some new Christmas songs Their names, Richard and Karen Carpenter. Pooler gave them the lyrics to his poem, Merry Christmas, Darling. Fifteen minutes later, the song was written and was released four years later, 1970, and went on to become one of the most recorded Christmas songs ever. Now, I had the incredible opportunity to know both Frank Pooler and Richard Carpenter. Here's me with Frank. Frank Pooler was my choral professor at Cal State Long Beach where I got a degree in music. And then because of that, I toured to Japan with Richard. I tell you that story because it reminds me of the power of salvation. A song that was written from a heart of love and someone stomped on it. And 20 years later, it was resurrected and became a new creation. Better than the original. That's what Christmas does. So I want to encourage you today, 
Receive the gift of Christmas, but don't forget the other Christmas gift, the gift of the love of other people. Open it and be filled with joy and experience life together and get plugged in to the network of the kingdom of God, which is the local church. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Christmas, that it's great, and we want to keep making it great because it's the gospel, and it's easy and simple to understand. Sadly, people reject the gift, but I pray that everyone here today would receive that gift that you give unconditionally for anyone who wants to believe and be saved. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amen.